Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Daily Grindhouse Presents No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. That's Mo Pawn, yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's Doug Tilly, number one Sorry, I thought we were all singing along with our theme songs this week. Mo. Yes. This is. It's great to be back because this, I think of... It, we've had so many kind of amazing moments happen on the show lately. Uh, we're just getting back from an episode which featured an interview with the man himself, Todd Sheets. I'm still kind of baffled by how that came about. I know, right? Uh, and, and it's almost like, it's funny, after our anniversary show, after our 30th episode, I thought, well, it's like a new beginning after that. But I feel like it's another new beginning now. We're, uh, we're in a whole different realm now with the Todd Sheets episode. we got to start afresh, mm-hmm. anew. Uh, we need to emerge from the cocoon and really have the best episode of No Budget Nightmares we can possibly have this time. I don't, I don't see that happening. No, I have to be honest. I'm recovering <laughs> from an illness, and I just... <laughs> you're going to have to be the energy this week, Mo. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. That's, that's a, a problem. problem. Well, we are back, uh, and we are featuring this week a film that should help us get over that hump, so to speak, uh, because it's a film that... For one of those rare th- times, people listening will probably know. Yeah, I, this is this is probably one of the one of I mean, definitely one of the more well-known films we've covered so far. Certainly, in a general sense, considering it's had sustained popularity over a long period of time, mm-hmm. something like The Burning Moon certainly has a, a fan base, but it it's only something that has really come to light in the last couple of years, same as Sledgehammer. But this one might be the most well-known of the films we've covered. Indeed. And, and there's a reason for it. Because we are covering Jim Van Beber's Deadbeat at Dawn. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> and the reason why this episode might be a, a, a bit of a... I'm just going to lean back and let the movie take care of things this week is because I love Deadbeat at Dawn. I love it. <laughs> you sounded like uh, Howard Stern in Private Parts trying to say NBC. W-A-N-B-C. <laughs> well, we won't continue on with that. No. Uh, but yes, Deadbeat at Dawn uh, from 1988, I believe. And it, it's really... We're going to get into, of course, every single detail about why I love it. But I have to say, this is one of those films... In fact, I have a little bit of an embarrassing story. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear your any embarrassing story involving you. Well, I wasn't asking you, Mo. I was asking the listeners. But, I don't. Uh, I'm. I am taking the role as the proxy for the audience and telling telling you that they want to hear it. Well, picture the Doug Tilly of say 1996 or 1997. Okay. A teenager, gigantic, of course, but still a teenager. And I was kind of 
trying to explore the kind of movies that I really enjoyed. And uh, certainly at that time, I was getting very much into cult movies, certainly a lot of horror movies. And I was reading like guides and things like that. You know, what are the cult movies you should see? And the one I was reading about again and again was Jim Van Bever's Deadbeat at Dawn. So Ooh, yeah. I, I seeked it out and I watched it. And guess what? What? I did not like it. Really? You know why? I'm interested to hear this. Yes, why? I was a teenager, so I was a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. Of course. I know slightly more now, but at that time, not a thing. Mm-hmm. So when I watched it, and A, it wasn't a horror movie, which I think I had in- interpreted that it was going to be at least horrific in some way. Mm-hmm. Two, the fact that it was um, it was amateurish. Yes. Certainly compared to the sort of slick Hollywood action that I was used to, and probably even the Asian action films that I would have been in at that time, or even the martial arts films I was into at that time, I didn't have an appreciation for the massive accomplishment that this film is. Mm. So I watched it, and I, I think I didn't even finish it. I think I turned it off. I was like, this is a piece of shit. That's bonkers. That is a bonkers response. That's, a, that's an appropriate word to use. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can officially say that the Doug Tilly of 1996-97 was a bonkers dude. See, because I watched this for the first time probably in 98. That's how I would have been like 18. It's a good year. Yeah, it was a good year. And um, <laughs> and, uh, and and I, I don't think I had... I don't. I mean, I was probably in the same sort of, you know, area as far as knowledge of anything really Mm -hmm. uh back then you know as you were when when you first saw this but i loved it i loved it the first time i saw it i i i kind of delved into that uh into that low budget kind of cult you know that that was sort of like the first genre of film that i really obsessed with and 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 delved into like head first and i loved like the like for me it was like the more amateur and like low tech and Mm -hmm. uh, you know like uh and lo-fi that it was the better i mean and and i was watching some really rotten shit and loving it uh and i and i'll still defend any of those movies to you know to this day but um but yeah, I, I remember my first time watching it. I, I fell in love. I loved it, and then I and then I basically tracked down everything else Jim Van Bepper did at that time and watched mm-hmm. all that shit too. Well, obviously, you were a much smarter teenager than I was, Mo. Uh, uh, well, but I was older. But guess what? What? This was actually my first time revisiting the film since then. Actually, you know, it's funny you should mention that because it was for me too. Ooh, yeah. So. <laughs> So it's been quite a, like a massive gap between the times I saw this film. So I went into this, you know, even after when we were picking it for the last uh, during the last episode for this episode, there was a certain amount of skepticism I had, even though I know that my appreciation would have been uh, higher. I didn't know if I was going to really enjoy it. Well, exactly, because you're going into it with the baggage of the last time you saw it. I totally get that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there was that baggage that was that was kind of hanging on, and all I could think while I was watching it is that teenage me must have been the biggest asshole in the world. <laughs> you know, it's a fact that I know for a fact that 16-year-old Mo was a total fucking blowhard. <laughs> Not like the Mo of today. No, 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 no. The Mo of today <laughs> is a lovable blowhard. <laughs> back, then I was a, back then I was an asshole, a fucking douche. <laughs> Well, uh, needless to say, though we will say it again and again, I love this movie. Like, I totally fucking love it. 
Uh, and there's so much I love about it, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, and in fact, why should I wait? Let's talk about it. Deadbeat at Dawn. Do it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh, first, let's talk a little bit about the films that influenced Deadbeat at Dawn. Okay. When you watch it, did any other kinds of movies sort of spring to mind? Um, I mean, yeah, like the general revenge flicks. Uh, sure. it, you know... Um, stylistically, I see a little, uh, they call me one eye in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it looks like a seventies film, even but, though it, it was that's made what, in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. It has that sort of seventies style to it. Uh, you know, it's funny for, I mean, even for like a, a basically an all white cast, I still see sort of like a black exploitation vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the serious ones, not the jokey ones. Um, and some like straight to video sort of, uh, action stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, uh, there's. There's some elements of like biker films Absolutely. in here. Uh, there, there's a few, um, if not direct visual references. It's hard to watch it without at, at least partially thinking about the warriors, mm, true. Uh, because it is about gang fights and and uh, the gangs themselves are very colorful. Um, there, but certainly the big visual thing that you see is that it's very grimy, very grainy, very much the style of a '70s exploitation film. Exactly. But this, but this was shot. In 16 millimeter in the mid 80s, <laughs> over a period of a few years, using Jim Van Bever's, uh, I think it was his student loan money, <laughs> uh, and he said instead of the, this film program, <laughs> I'm going to make a movie, and uh, we're all benefiting from it all these years later. Hey, I was going to say, be thankful he made it because I mean, if if he hadn't, this movie wouldn't exist. And we need to talk about just how incredible. He is in regards to this movie. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that was a confirmation or not. <laughs> Let me. I'm not talking about necessarily his performance, though. His uh-huh. performance is fine, though. There are the, the, a lot of the performances in this movie are a little off. Yes. But in kind of a fun way. But the fact that he is directing this movie, and he is starring in this movie, mm-hmm. and he has to basically go through hell. <laughs> In order to make an action movie starring himself with no stunt doubles. So he needs to, like, dangle off of, like, <laughs> jump in a quarry and uh, rappel down a parking garage. <laughs> Just do crazy things. Yeah, he yeah he really does put his body on the line a lot in this movie. And, uh, and it's funny because you look at the, like, like, a lot of, like, the weaponry and stuff that he's using. And it's pretty obvious that almost all of it's, like, real. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. it is. And it's also the kind of things, and this is why I was such an idiot as a teenager, because if like the 10-year-old or 11-year-old version of me had watched this, I probably would have thought it was the greatest movie in the world, <laughs> because it totally has that mindset of a late 80s, really early 90s kid, where it's like, I, I think I wrote in my written review, you know, a kid that was raised on sugary cereal and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the idea that... <laughs> They're going to fight with nunchucks and, and throwing, th- throwing stars. stars yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what these gang fights are going to entail. It's and I'm brilliant. like, that's it. That's what gangs do. At that time, I didn't have, you know, sort of a, a, a more, <laughs> even though I got the Detroit affiliates, I didn't really understand what real life violence was all about. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, sure. They go into the middle of a cemetery with their throwing stars. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's how they do things. You put the, put the gun away. You don't want to, you don't want to call the cops here. <laughs> and it's, it really has This movie also has a very nihilistic attitude Which you thought a teenager would really I was just such an idiot I don't know why I didn't love this movie then But I certainly love it now No, you're still an idiot But at least you love it now Well, how could you just say such a thing? Ah, I'm a terrible human 
All right. <laughs> lovable, though, <laughs> much like me had. at 16. <laughs> but it was lovable even when you were calling me an idiot. <laughs> so the opening credits of Deadbeat at Dawn, uh, they really just feature <laughs> sort of the rough lifestyle of Goose, played by Jim Van Bever, the, and he is the uh, gang, one of the gang leaders in the yeah. film. And uh, and we see him sort of washing a knife in a sink. I love these opening credits, by the way. I like I like the uh, I like the the armpit wound he has to stitch up. Yeah, like it basically just looked like 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 silly putty in the armpit. Throw some <laughs> blood on there. I'm gonna stitch this up. Does the job sewing up his wounds. You can tell right <laughs> from the beginning. This is a tough guy. <laughs> exactly. You'll be able to tell it later from like do rags and bandanas that he's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> But he's a tough guy. But the weird thing is that we the first character we really get introduced to isn't Goose. No. It's his girlfriend. Christy. Christy. The lovable Christy. And what is the defining characteristic about Christy? Uh she is a moron. She is kind of a moron. <laughs> no, no, she she's very superstitious. She's very <laughs> That's one way to say it. Yeah. Like paranoid. Uh, uh rightfully so. But she's very gullible. Gullible, I think that might be your interpretation because you don't have a lot of respect for her spiritual beliefs. That's true, I don't, and nor will I ever. Um but yeah, she Ooh. she you know, she believes in mystics and that sort of thing. Yeah, she is like a mystic herself, in fact. Yeah. She's the kind of person who <laughs> puts a certain amount of her uh decision making into using a Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we first meet her when she's actually visiting a medium because uh she's worried about Goose. She's worried about the kind of future he's going to have as the leader of this gang. Uh and like you said, probably rightfully so. He does seem to get in scrapes quite a bit. Well, I mean the movie opens with him sewing up his own wounds, so <laughs> that's right. I mean, yeah, you would you would assume that he gets into rumbles quite a bit. Rumbles, that's right. That's what the kids called it back then. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and this all takes place in Ohio, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to Ohio. Have you, Mo? No. Well, it seems like it has a, quite a gang problem. <laughs> and a, and a, uh, a cemetery loitering problem. It also looks somewhat post-apocalyptic. <laughs> that's one of the, another the great thing about this movie. Half of it takes place in, like, these squats and these abandoned buildings and they look like they just wandered onto them which is amazing right yeah exactly it, it just i mean the whole movie sort of looks like 1990s a bronx warrior yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we do get uh, introduced to christy but um after she leaves this medium something rather horrible happens to her um she tears her jeans oh no those were already there <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let me illuminate the moment for you. <laughs> so, uh, we we get introduced to uh, Danny, Danny, yeah, the leader of the. Uh, I think he's the leader of the Spiders. Is that correct? Uh, I want to say yes. All right. Well, I don't, think I, don't think I actually wrote it down anywhere, but I believe it is the Spiders. <laughs> I wrote it down at some point. I'm pretty sure it's the Spiders. <laughs> he's the other gang leader. He is uh, the antagonist of. The he film, is a scumbag. Say. And uh, he establishes his scumbaggedness right off the top by attempting to rape Christy. It's a good man. He what? I'm just kidding. That that is not something I love, you want. I, I love how he. he I like how uh, as he's attempting to rape her, he goes, "What Danny wants, Danny gets." <laughs> Danny looks kind of like uh, like an '80s porno star. He's got the mustache. He looks. He looks the, a little Randy West. He does. Yeah. Randy West. Wow, that's a great comparison point. Yeah. yeah. Actually. <laughs> 
Uh, and he does try to rape her before being in, uh, interrupted by uh, a police officer who wanders by. <laughs> but this actually is a really revealing moment in regards to their relationship with uh, authority. Just giving the wife a little kiss, officer. That's right. They totally do not admit to anything going on. They Ex- don't want anything to do with the law. Exactly. Uh, and yes, they are. Danny is the leader of the spiders. Let's establish this right now for people who haven't seen the film before. There, there are two gangs. There's the Ravens, which, uh, which Goose, played by Jim Van Weber, is the leader of. And there are the spiders. And uh, Danny, played by Paul Harper, he's the leader of them. Indeed. It, indeed. And uh, we get a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> we get a little bit more uh, establishing of the character of Danny uh, because we see him sort of um, commune with his girlfriend. I, uh, I I was just looking at my notes. That's why I laughed. I was looking at my notes, and I have a note here. This is Danny's stash is magnificent. <laughs> he does have a magnificent. It really stash. is an amazing mustache. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's in bed with his with his girlfriend, and she. I, I don't know. He's not being very nice with her. Danny is such a cock. I mean, he, he's a cock. First time we meet him, he is. And all throughout the film, it's hard to understand why someone who has such difficulty relating to people r- rose so high within the industry of gangdom. Exactly. But I guess he has that gangdom style. You know? I see, I was not going to make what? that joke. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so he's in the bed doing this Harlem Shake with his girlfriend. I, uh, you yeah. asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you took my joke. <laughs> What's great is that, like, there's porn playing in the background. Yeah, yeah. And, like, like, they make, they really, they set it up with an establishing shot that makes you fairly certain that he lives in a porno theater. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's true. That's another thing. I mean, like, all the establishing shots are in like Bowery's and fucking. Oh, like, I love it. Built. It is really great. Like, it really, it really makes you think like the movie set up in like you know 1976 New York. You know, yeah, absolutely. A- and meanwhile, it's 1988. You know, or 1980-whatever, Ohio. <laughs> so we get uh, a more uh, of an idea with Danny and, and this girl. I think this is Iris. I can't remember. But anyway, the, she um, she <laughs> she decides she's going to get romantic because of the porno playing in the background. Makes sense. And, and she says, like, do you love me? And he goes, what do you think? <laughs> Very romantic. Yeah. At first, it seems like they're being kind of playful. And he starts, like, pulling down the blanket so she reveals her breasts. And she slaps him. And then he does what a bad guy would do, which if is he tries to choke her. Do that again. I'm gonna pull your eyeballs out of your head and eat them. He's a real good that, guy. That's but. the kind of threatening that uh, Danny likes to do. I'm gonna pull. <laughs> I'm gonna pull your eyeball out of your head, and I'm gonna eat him. All right. He uh, he's evil. And in fact, believe it or not, he gets more evil, significantly so, as it goes along. And then, of course, the thing that cracks me up is after he says that to her, like, he kisses her. I mean, like, real savage-like, but I mean, he still kisses her. Well, you know, ladies, don't, uh... I mean, Mo, you and I, we're sensitive men. Not really. And we treat women with the respect that they deserve. Says you. That's right. That's why we retired (laughs) the Butterface Alarm, because it was awful. Because I really forgot to finish making it, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. There's that, too. But really, it's because of the respect that we have for women. So don't be like Danny. Hey, I got a question for you. Maybe you know the answer to this. (laughs) You're you're a Canadian. I know know that Canadians have a real problem with uh, with gun control up there. Um, Mm -hmm. When we we come back to Goose now, he's etching, like, crosses into the head's... Of the bullets. Right. Do you know what the hell that's for? 
I feel like there's someone listening right now who's like, oh god, these guys are fucking idiots. Don't you know that that cross-stitching or hatching on the fucking bullets, it means that they... I don't know. I mean, it seems to me like maybe like it's designed to like make it sort of explode inside the person, you know, to make to do more damage. I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I've I'm, seen it in movies before. I think. I think guns are awesome, but I don't know anything about them. Mm. You know. Someone write in and tell us why someone might want, want to like uh, hammer a knife to. <laughs> I don't. Know, yeah, to like to cut an X into the top bullets. of a bullet. Some somebody somebody write in. Come on, do it. Yeah, no, please do. I mean, this is going out live now. I expect a, I expect a response in before mid- the end of the episode. before the end of the episode. <laughs> and if we don't, we'll be very upset. I will about be it. pissed. So yes, we do indeed see Goose doing that, and uh, one of his uh, one of the members of the Ravens comes in and says that uh, that Danny and the spiders are moving on them, mm. which means that it's time for a gang fight. Time to rumble. I like when we go. Yeah, here it is. It does say it right there. Danny and the spiders. So yeah. So there we go. I knew it. I already. Could, uh, <laughs> I confirmed that. Um, I love how for some reason Danny's wearing like a weird like Batman mask with the, with a the logo and everything. Yeah. Really odd. Yeah. They, in fact, Danny wears ridiculous masks whenever he gets into some sort of confrontation. I like. Yeah. Well, we'll get to it when we get to it. But but there's one mask that he wears later on that I absolutely <laughs> adore. Although, well, uh, although this Batman one is really great. I'm guessing the graveyard, which is where they all kind of commune, mm. that must be like the the big. That's like the front line of their uh, their 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 war, their gang war, because that's where they that's where all the action really happens. So they're going to have a fight. Yeah. Over turf. This is a turf fight. You're on our turf, scum fuck. <laughs> You're on our turf, scum fuck. And Goose, since we did see him with the gun before, he has a gun. Yeah. They both, is, they both have guns. They both have guns. But, uh, but this is like a, a gang fight from the music video for Beat It, Michael Jackson. <laughs> There's a lot, <laughs> so of, a lot there of snapping and shuffling. <laughs> I feel like 80s gang fights were a little bit more respectful over the idea of just outright killing everybody. Mm. But I'm only gauging that from movies. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, back then, I don't know. Um, So they decide they're going to fight man to man And Goose has this great knife That has like uh, brass knucks built in Yeah (laughs) And they have sort of a knife fight I think they call that a skull crusher Is that what they do? There's a character called skull crusher The bone crusher Oh you're right I don't know anything (laughs) But yeah Oh no you know what No 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 The skull crusher is There's like a pointy bit At the bottom of knives like that That you crack into Into a guy's head And that's the skull crusher well, this is our fir- <laughs> this is our first real uh, look at the kind of action that we're going to see in the film. Yeah, now, it's very kinetic. It's it's actually really hard hitting. These guys are beating the shit out of each other. It's pretty in- brutal. It is. It's really brutal, and it's very bloody. Uh, they both slice each other up. Uh, Danny uh, gets, I think, his face slashed, and and Goose gets his hand all fucked up, and his eye, and his eye. That's right. Yeah. So they get both really get messed up. Yeah. But a uh, goose. He pulls it out. He is the winner, the clear winner of this fight. <laughs> he pulls it out. <laughs> he pulls out his cock and just slaps Danny across the face. <laughs> Mo, you child. <laughs> <laughs> but then the cops um, arrive. The best thing is that when the cops arrive, there's this one guy who's grabbing for the gun on the ground. And uh, I think it's Goose who actually shoots, but his hand gets blown off. Yeah. His hand just explodes. Explodes. It's great, an exploding hand. And then we're treated to great lines like this. 
Fuck your noise. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your noise. I love the script for this movie. I really it's, do. It really is great. <laughs> uh, what I really love about the fallout of this fight is that, I mean, these characters, they're not superheroes in any way. No. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. It even starts, right, with Goose uh, sewing up his wounds and stuff. And the post-fight scene shows Goose uh, back at his, his apartment. And uh, and it's Christy is kind of helping him. Uh, with his wounds and like washing him in the bath to get all the blood off. Yeah. And I mean, it, there's a part where he's like pouring alcohol on his wounds and he's like shaking from the pain. It's actually really well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got sort of that early like the the like first blood as opposed to Rambo yeah. first blood part two <laughs> thing I, where it's like. Yeah, you. Were I was gonna say. say I think. Uh, yeah, the, like the the fighting in particular. I mean, until later when it gets really ridiculous. But like <laughs> the fighting, particularly at the beginning of the movie, is like super realistic you know i mean in what in what that's what i would expect a, a knife fight you know to sort right. of look like and uh and, and yeah and, and the way he deals with the wounds after the, after the fact is 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 amazing it's really it really adds a lot of uh, texture to the film it really keeps um the film really even though there are kind of really fantastic elements to it it sure. keeps it kind of grounded in reality yeah too, exactly right? Uh, and it means that later on, when he really does go through even more horrible shit, you really feel it. It's like, oh, <clears throat> this is going to hurt him in some way. A lot. <laughs> so uh, we cut to the next day. And uh, Christy... <laughs> this is our first real insight into Goose's personality. And it is not positive. In fact, the first we get of him, it really get a sen- we really get a sense that him and Danny are pretty much exactly the same in terms of their <laughs> attitudes. Because <laughs> he gets up, and he's like, he's pretty much healed up and uh she wants him to wear this necklace that she's uh that she's created i guess to keep him safe yeah yeah it's a magic necklace and he gets all pissed off he's like no <laughs> and he snorts a bunch of crank yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but he refuses i mean he doesn't just refuse he even though she's totally helped him with all his wounds he just acts like a complete prick to yeah her. he's just but- like he's like fuck this but it's great because his sort of stamping out of the room involves him taking some nunchucks off of the wall, <laughs> you know, and putting a bandana on. <laughs> He's got to go out and do whatever he does throughout the course of his day. Go to the graveyard. And he does. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. He goes to the graveyard and he does his training exercises. Yep, he practices fighting and he does nunchucks in the graveyard. It might, this might be one of the greatest scenes in the history of film. It's pretty great. This is this is the scene that you put the uh, the picture up on our group, right? Yeah, of yeah. him kicking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now he let, let's let's make something very clear. Jim M. Beber is not a traditional martial artist, right? I mean, he's not like uh, a martial arts champion, but he's obviously very physically fit and uh, and physical. Uh, and when he is yeah. practicing, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have the form of say Sean Gallimore, but uh, he he does. Uh, he, That's a great comparison point, actually. Yeah, but he does have uh, a lot of a lot of passion, and uh, and he really gives it his all every like everything he does. And with that said, this is supremely goofy. <laughs> it is it's so silly with him kicking and practicing his nunchucks in the middle you know of the cemetery. It, it reminds me of. Um, of like the the punch fighting or the punch dancing scene. Oh yes, absolutely. You know, in, in Hot Rod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is in itself a tribute to Footloose. I mean, this yeah. this is very much a scene that's of the time it was made. <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's so great. It is. It's amazing. I'm not knocking it at all. It is so entertaining, and it ends perfectly. <laughs> yeah, he throws a knife at a tree and then yells, You motherfuckers! <laughs> <laughs> just into the city at general. Yeah, he's not yelling at anybody in yeah. particular. Just <laughs> at the city. <laughs> I love how he follows up this as well with all his training. <laughs> he decides, I guess, he wants to repair his relationship with Christy. So he wants to impress her. And the way that he goes about doing that is he sees some guy, just some random dude, pull into a driveway with his motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes over and he goes, hey, hey fuck. fuck. <laughs> and just smashes him in the head with nunchucks. I smashes love him it. on the head with the nunchucks and just steals the motorcycle. Perfect. So at this point, you'd be, uh, you know, it'd be reasonable to think that Goose is sort of a fucking asshole. Yeah. Which is interesting because the very next scene, they try to soften him a little bit. Yeah. He and, he heads, and, yeah, he heads back. He tries to make up with, uh, with Christy. And that, by the way, is the main difference between Danny and Goose. Goose has a <laughs> lingering shred of humanity and human decency and self-awareness about him. So he feels bad when he hurts someone that he cares about. You'd say he has a goose heart? No. <laughs> Why would I say that? <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Christy is very concerned <laughs> about the fact that Goose uh, basically has to sew himself up every night. Uh, and she wants him to quit the Ravens. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's not yeah, fully at, in support. At first, at first he, he promises to try and change. In fact, at first he says, do you want me to start being something I'm not? <laughs> oh, that's and that's exactly what she wants. Exactly. That's what I want, too. I don't want you to be something you're not, Mo. Yeah, but I want you to be something you're not, so... You want me to be a sexy man. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome yep. to the No Budget Name Man podcast. <laughs> I'm a sexy dame. I'm sexy dame now. <laughs> he, she's the Tilly. Um, you, you can Jesus. follow me at sexy underscore dame. The suggestion is that Goose actually does have very strong <laughs> feelings for Christy. And even though he doesn't really want to, he's willing to give up his gang leadership for her. Indeed. In fact, uh, they, uh, they follow up this scene of him promising to quit the gang with a, a romantic rendezvous in the woods. They frolic. <laughs> they, really, they literally frolic. He's all kind of cleaned up. Uh, they have like uh, they they make gooey eyes, goo goo eyes at each other. <laughs> they make yes. She also tells him to say a thing that you should never say in a movie. She she says, "Tell me that we'll be together forever." Nah, yeah. <laughs> that that's a death sentence if I ever heard one. I was watching it. I was like, "Ooh, that's not going to be good for her." <laughs> it's like shit. You're a dead girl. And they fuck in the middle of the woods, yep. as as you are wont to do. And she makes him put on the necklace, which he does. Good man. Good man. <laughs> uh, the next day, he goes to visit his fellow gang members, or I should say, the single gang member Keith. You know what I find I found amazing about this scene? What's that? Well, well, we'll get to it. But well, he, we're on it. The scene right we're, now. We're on, we're on the scene right now. Um, I mean, I, I like, I, so the conversation starts, well, let's just get the, this clip out of the way. Um, and they're sort and they're sort of joking at first and, uh, I forget who says what to who, but we'll, we'll hear it in a second. You gotta get laid more often, Keith, to be less of a fuckhead. Shit. Not fucking like a fuck. 
Uh, That's offensive. What's that? That's offensive. What's offensive to bunnies? <laughs> sure. No, but I, I like how he goes. I like how yeah. You, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be more. You should be. Uh, you should get laid more. You'd be less of a fuckhead. He goes. Yeah, I fucked like a bunny. And he goes. Yeah, quick. <laughs> um, Keith is not happy about the fact that uh, Goose wants to step down. Yeah. Um, and then he does something that's weird because. Like, how does all of this happen while they're having this conversation? Yeah, I you know, know, right? Yeah, I mean, Goose is supposed to be the leader of this gang. Right. You know, Keith is not. So, like, Goose steps down, and Keith immediately announces that he's combining the two gangs. That's right. You know, like, in the same scene. And it's like, he's like, it's too late, it's already done. But it's like, he just stepped down. That's right. And this is theoretically the day after that fight. Yeah. <laughs> right? They just he just blew the hand off of one of his members. He's yeah. like, maybe we should join up. Yeah. Uh and yeah, it just that, you're right. It is uh <laughs> compressed in terms of story at this moment. But the goose doesn't give a shit. Yeah, he says take the ravens and shove them up your ass. Booyah. Then he drives off on a motorcycle like a super badass. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that this movie has, and it makes it also feel a lot like one of those 70s exploitation movies, is that the transitions between scenes are sometimes done in this kind of weird kaleidoscope. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, but it also makes it feel it's like, that's not the 80s, that's like the late 60s, that's, like like a biker movie. Yeah, exactly. That like That's like, you know, you're getting ready to... At the latest, the 70s, it's definitely not that's, a late that's 80s right. thing. Uh Word gets around quickly about the fact that Goose has stepped down as leader of the Ravens, and it gets very quickly to Danny. <laughs> Danny has a weird sense of honor in regards to the fact that because <laughs> because Goose has stepped down as leader, now he's fair game. Yeah. Before, apparently, he wasn't. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that because he was leader. It was because he was... Uh, it's so weird, like, his the way he describes it. But, yeah, he says that um, because... Goose was in the Ravens, and now they're doing business with the Ravens. He's untouchable. But once right. he steps down, then it's okay. Right. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's fair enough. It's still uh, stupid. It still makes no fucking sense. But, I mean, to, for Danny's personality, I should say. No, I mean, obviously it makes perfect sense if you had some kind of, like, you know, integrity. But Danny is working on another level yeah. altogether in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> First, he gets two of his goons, Bone Crusher and Stubby. Yep. And he goes, you boys want some exercise? There's something I want done. And he's going to send these guys over to take care of Goose. He, they want him, he wants them to find him, hurt him, and kill him. Indeed. And then Danny's girlfriend comes out. I guess this is a few days later than what was happening before. Because she announces that she's pregnant. Poor Christy. Now... What do you think? I'm talking to the crowd who are listening <laughs> in large stadiums. <laughs> what do you think Danny's reaction to uh, discovering this pregnancy would be? What would your reaction be? Maybe you'd be upset because it's unplanned. See, I'm not saying anything because it wasn't me you were talking to. Right. No, good. <laughs> in fact, why don't you shut up right now? <laughs> uh, maybe you'd be overjoyed because it's your dream of... Of finally having a child in your life, someone that you can fully devote yourself to. Well, Danny has a different response than the two of those. <laughs> he uh, 
punches her in the face, <laughs> much to the glee of his two goons, and just kind of throws her to the ground. Yup. He's not a very good guy, this Danny. No, he's a bit of a dick. By the way, this is the main counterpoint of the film, right? At first we saw that Danny and Goose were pretty similar, but the way that they treat their women are kind of the same. But, <laughs> <laughs> but here we see that his, his relationship is a little bit more toxic, what with the punching of his pregnant girlfriend. Exactly. I, well, I like I like how they're both fairly morally ambiguous, you know. But yeah, uh, absolutely. But it's sort of like the difference between between an antihero and a villain, you know. Uh, and that is absolutely the case. Yeah. I mean, Goose is an antihero, yeah. which is really established in this next scene, where he, he he's like, you know, he he needs to support Christy and their new life together, living in some hovel. <laughs> <laughs> so what he's going to do is he's going to go out and sell some drugs. Why not, you know? He has a bunch of drugs to sell. He's got a bunch of crank. He's got a buyer. Yeah. Why yeah, not? He's going to make a big score. They're, they'll be set for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I like I like how his big plan was like, well, ha- after I sell this stuff, we'll have some money and we can go. Yeah. You know? Because like, baby, he was born to run. Yeah, it's like, where, where are you going to... I mean, I understand that you have nothing except for a stolen motorcycle, but I mean, like... Where are you going to go on, like, $300? You really do get a sense that there isn't a ton of money, especially with how... Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in just yeah. a little bit. So we also get a little insight into the relationship between Bone Crusher and Stubby, who are off to, uh, to deal a little damage to uh, Goose and his girlfriend. Yeah, the first, uh, thing we, the first thing we know about Bone Crusher mm-hmm. is that he is obviously a drug addict. Mm-hmm. I mean, just obviously, you know, his his makeup tells that tale. Um, like, he's always paler than everybody. He's got big purple, you know, uh, bags under his eyes. He's a loose cannon. Yeah, that and the fact that almost every time you see him, he is snorting crank. That's right. So. That's a dead giveaway, if you yeah. ask me. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> and what else do we know about him? Um, is that he's also a fairly sadistic human being. He is sadistic, and he even voices some of that sadism. Let's hear it. Man, that ain't nothing compared to the rest you can get when you're killing somebody, man. Indeed. You know what I mean? I do. When you're looking in their eyes, and you're seeing all that life just go right out of them, it's power. I hate people, man. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about nothing. It's like a James Dean speech. All my life people fuck with me. Don't you fuck with me, man. I just fucking hate people. I hate people. And I don't care. I just don't fucking care. I don't care. (laughs) I had to get that last. I don't care. Oh, we missed that on the best line. (laughs) Oh, what what line? Right at the end where he goes, I'm the best motherfucker you ever saw, man. Oh, jeez. Whoops. <laughs> well, I just said it, so that's just as good as Bone Crusher saying it. Yeah, that's 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 right. So you got a little insight there into Bone Crusher's state of mind. I would say it's slightly twisted. Yes, slightly. This is the time, by the way, while all this is going on, that uh, that Christy is using a Ouija board, <laughs> <laughs> which accurately predicts her two questions. Yep. Which is one: Will Goose die today? Nope. Nope. It says no. She's very relieved, and then she says, "What about me?" Yep. <gasps> dun dun dun. The spirits say that she will die today, which is concerning and surprisingly accurate. 
Not to give too much away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because immediately after after it says, yes, you're going to die, that's when the goons show up at her door and start knocking. They have... I didn't mention it. This is one of the greatest moments in the whole movie, where when Goose leaves, he asks her if he wants... He says he's going to lock the door, and when he leaves, he just he has like a padlock that yeah, he, he uses to yeah, lock the door. Yeah, he padlocks the, the outside of the door. He's locking her in is what's going on. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they arrive with golf clubs and they immediately start uh, smashing at this uh, at this padlock to get in. Which you would imagine, if she could have padlocked it from the inside, would have been much better. Mm. In retrospect, that would have been better. Yeah, but you know what they say: hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And I imagine this is a moment that Goose has to live with with quite <laughs> for quite. <laughs> Goose, by the way, is not having an easy time selling these drugs. No. The guy he's meant to sell the drugs to pulls a gun on him, but Goose, because he is uh, a badass, he he beats this guy's ass. <laughs> he kicks some serious butt. Uh, th- this is great intercutting, because you get to see that Goose, you know, is a badass, but he is away from the roost. <laughs> see, he's a goose, right? No, I get it. Because, uh, uh, like, a bird. Yeah, I get it. Uh, and uh, while he's out uh, plying his trade, uh, Bonecrusher and Stubby do get in, and they make a promise that they're going to break every bone. In fact, they they say they're going to break every bone in Christie's legs, every bone in her arms, every bone in etc. Yeah, and they do. They're going to fuck her up, and they they do that. Well, you know what they say: what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Nope, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> Goose, this is actually a really interesting moment. Uh, Goose sincerely seems curious. Uh, in <laughs> fact, the, the person who tried to stop him and pulled the gun on him, he's he's shown to be sort of the middleman or the... Uh, he's like the muscle. The muscle, right, of the drug dealer. Yeah. And eventually they do work out their problems. He makes the transaction. And <laughs> they before, hug it out. <laughs> they, they hug it out, that's right. And Goose has sort of a weird moral moment where he kind of asks the guy what he's going to do with the drugs. Hey! What do you want with Crank? Look, I can sell it to kids. I can sell it on the street. What the fuck difference does it make to you, anyway? Indeed. I love it. I love the idea that that really... (laughs) He really... There is a sense there that he does kind of give a shit, but at the end of the day, life is hell, right? Everything is shit. (laughs) Do what you gotta do. (laughs) And that's it. That's that anti-hero... That's the goodness right there. Yeah, he's the Han Solo of this movie. So we don't get a good look of exactly what is happening to Christy at this time, which is probably a good thing, uh, because once Goose arrives home, he is quite upset at what he discovers. Yep. Yeah, she's all beaten to shit and bloody. She's dead. Yeah, she's dead. <laughs> like he keeps saying, like, "Don't die, don't die," but she's totally fucked. Yeah. And if you want to talk about sort of the trials of living in this horrible situation... Uh, you mean, you mean of, living in Ohio? Living in Ohio, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not Detroit! Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he does what anyone would do in this situation. You... He picks up a telephone, and he calls the police, and he makes a report. And they look for the person uh, or people that did this to her. Yeah, but doesn't he also like wrap her up in like? A he doesn't sh- do that, Mo. I was just kidding around. Oh, they don't. They don't put any trust in authority. I was gonna say that didn't happen in the movie. <laughs> that didn't happen in the movie. No, <laughs> he put he wraps her up in a in a uh, carpet, 
<laughs> like, a or, she- like a sheet. Like a sheet, yeah, yeah, I guess more than a carpet. So he wraps her corpse up, and he takes her outside, and he's very upset. He's like, does a scream of pain. And he, he takes her body and puts it in a trash compactor thing, like a big one, mm-hmm. and then he crushes it. Well, I mean, that's how you get rid of bodies, right? I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never had one of, like, direct access to... If I did, when I was, like, a kid, had access to, like, a crushing thing, A, I'd be dead right now. <laughs> 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 There's no way my head wouldn't have gone into it when it was crushing. Uh, but B, everything I owned would have been crushed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, G.I. Joes, you're all going in the crusher. <laughs> Yeah, I used to work at a supermarket where you would have to deal with, like, trash compactors and balers and shit. And, yeah, I was, it was, like, they constantly had to tell me, like, don't play with it. It's not a toy. I, I would take, like, the, uh, like, whenever a package would come in in, like, the bubble wrap, <laughs> I'd throw the bubble wrap in there and and pop it. It would, it would be awesome. It would be like, Anyway. <laughs> so at this point, what Goose needs to get revenge for has been established. His girlfriend's dead. He knows that Danny had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. He is in a bad mental place. We see scenes of him walking the street, and I love these scenes because it's like those scenes in a Las Vegas bloodbath where it's obviously just being filmed on the street where people are, and they're looking at him covered in blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I mean, I just like the idea that like he's like falling down on the ground. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it adds a real sense of reality to it. There's a scene at the end where where, the, where that's really, like, oh, yeah. like amazing. Like the, the two people standing in the background. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> no, let's talk about the end now. Yeah, let's talk about the end now. <laughs> let's skip all this middle shit. Uh, this whole, whole section that comes up now was confusing to me at first, and maybe it's supposed to be, and maybe you can tell me if that is supposed to be the case or not. But what we see is Goose, in the form of, of actor-director Jim Van Bever, climb up this super dangerous-looking fire escape yeah, and cl- climbs into this uh, abandoned apartment. Yeah, it looks like a, like a squat. Yeah, a squat, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and he uh, opens the fridge and takes a beer out and starts to drink it, and... Uh, someone comes out. A shirtless guy comes out and starts screaming at him. Well, he starts screaming first. Yeah, he starts screaming first. That's absolutely right. <laughs> and then he comes out, and then he flips out even more because uh, because Goose took the last beer. Yes. You know. And uh, and then eventually we find out that this is Goose's dad. It's revealed slowly. Very that slowly. That is his dad. Yeah. And it was a little confusing to me at first. It's also hinted at that his father is a damaged Vietnam veteran. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his yeah, dad's he, obviously a paranoid. Off his nut. A yeah, paranoid he's... nutcase, yeah. <laughs> not to be <laughs> not to be uh, unsympathetic to those with mental illness, but oh, this no, guy's no, no, a no. nutcase. No, but this guy's a nutcase. And uh, he explains to his father what's going on. He just wants to crash at the place. But his father's a little inconsistent. Yeah, his dad flips out about giving him money for beer. Yeah, so he basically screams at him. Like, his brain is... He doesn't... He never says anything. He screams every yeah, line he has. that's right. Yeah. This, this is a, quite a performance here by this actor. I wouldn't call it good, necessarily, but it is certainly intense. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, like the entire... His entire performance is like every scene in Rocky where Burt Young is mad. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then Jim Van Bever buys him a robot. <laughs> Happy birthday, Polly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so eventually, because he does have money, 
uh, Goose gives his father some, and he goes, well, at least buy some better beer. Yeah. But his father does not buy beer. No. <laughs> I love, I actually, I actually really, really love the scene where the dad comes back and he's like, he's like, I thought, I thought you're getting beer. He's going, oh, this is much better than beer. And he says, heaven on earth, my boy. Heaven on earth. earth. <laughs> and he starts shooting up heroin in between his toes. In between his toes. <laughs> he's like, mm, Nirvana. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's quite a moment. It's so I mean, it's so weird. <laughs> and the worst thing, I mean, like this is a shitty situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. Because then we see like Goose. He's on this filthy mattress on the floor, and his father kicks him awake while he's asleep, basically begging him for his money. Yeah. Uh, he, he he's like, "Don't ask me why. There's a crisis. I need some money." <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious what the mm-hmm. crisis is. And then he starts threatening him with a meat cleaver. Uh, yeah, so this is a pretty messed up relationship. Probably explains a little bit how Goose may have ended up the way he ended up. Mm. Uh, eventually, just disgusted with his own father, he uh, he throws him all of his money. Well, he keeps like yeah, a little bit. one of the bills or whatever for himself, and then he says, "Go ahead, kill yourself. It's been nice knowing you, dear." Sad. Life is not going well for our good friend Goose. Yep. That's the end of our any knowledge of what happened to his father, by the way. Yeah, we don't know what happens. Like nothing is mentioned of the dad after that. You know how Goose's life is shitty right now? Yeah. It's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's about to happen. Things are about to turn really bad for him. Yep. It starts with him there's this really pathetic scene where he's in like a bar drinking by himself. <laughs> There's these drunks who are like betting on flipping beer cans into a garbage can. <laughs> I'll I'll take that for a dollar. And this uh this woman comes up to him who knew him from before when he was the gang leader. Yeah, I forget what she says her name is, but it doesn't really matter. Actually, she's Iris. That, oh, that, Iris, that's, that's she right. Is. Yeah. And and she's basically uh trying to get free drinks by flirting with guys including him. Mm-hmm. Uh and he is pathetic. And he has entirely run out of money except for a few, like, coins. Yeah. And so, then he tries to give her a kiss, and it's really uncomfortable. It, yeah, that whole scene is. It just Like, and it just gets from bad to worse. I love that it really does get a- across that this guy's hitting bottom. Yeah. Like, that, that he, you know, from the guy who was practicing his nun- nunchucks in, in the cemetery. Yeah, to, to, this the, guy, to the guy who's climbing over tables to get away from. That is know. a great moment, by yeah. the way. He almost gets into a fight with a guy who she's flirting with, yeah. and he runs away on the tables, and it's just... And he just it, falls. It, like, he just, it, like, almost takes himself out at the, you know, on the, uh, like, the top of, I forget what you would call it, but, like, the chair, you know? Uh, I'm, go- I'm going to take off my jackass cap and put on my academic cap to say that it reminded me a little bit of that scene in Mean Streets where they mm. had the big brawl in the bar uh, just because of how freely physical he is <laughs> where he's just going to run off it's like I don't give a fuck about any of this I'm out of here <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we get like a montage of shit going bad like him beating up homeless people to get their booze well I mean isn't that what you do I mean that's what I do when I need you know, that is what I do yeah, currently. Yeah, I mean, I'm currently but, recording this underneath a, uh, an, uh, you know, a bridge like in a sewer system where I'm beating up a uh, a homeless guy for his for his Thunderbird. If anyone ever wondered about the sound quality of No Budget Nightmares, yeah, it's got that bridgey quality yeah, that exactly. we enjoy so yeah. much. It's got it's got that fine fine 
background noise of uh, Underpass. <laughs> Who needs money when we got feathers? <laughs> <laughs> But we see uh, like shit going really bad. He gets into cocaine and pills and heroin eventually. Uh, he even smashes the necklace that Christy gave him <laughs> because it's really it might be protecting him from death, but it's certainly not protecting him in general. Yeah. <laughs> and all of this uh, kind of goes along with this great metal soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. That's hit and bottom music right there. <laughs> you guys might not like that, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> and if I've learned nothing else from intervention, it's that drug addiction often comes along with depression. Mm. And he has gotten very depressed to the point where he is suicidal. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. So he, fi- so he finds himself in a sewer system. <laughs> and uh, As you will. Uh, you know, as, as you're wont to do when you're depressed. Uh-huh. And uh, he pulls out a gun. And uh, 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 a, a grubby-looking, I'm assuming homeless, uh, mm-hmm. gentleman says to him, What are you going to do with that gun? I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> oh, all right. Cool with me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and, then he says, and then he says, yeah, all right, cool, yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> like for like three more minutes. Uh, that weird sound that you heard between him saying I'm going to shoot myself and it's cool with me was uh, they flashed for a second of a shot of him actually killing himself yeah so I guess you could think that maybe the rest of the movie is just it's like an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge Mm. Mm, literary illusions yeah cool okay yeah (laughs) cool but just as he's about to shoot himself his guardian angel arrives (laughs) (laughs) it's actually Keith the uh, the current leader of the Ravens. I wonder how long, how like how much time is supposed to have passed at this point. Uh, who knows? It's hard to say. It it's really been a while. It's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, and Keith has arrived uh, and grabs the gun and he calls him a sorry son of a bitch, which he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he holds his head under a faucet. He really doesn't treat him very kindly in the case. But he's here because they're planning a big score, and they need his help. They need every man they can get. And in fact, he's not doing it alone. That's right. <laughs> I was hoping that you'd tell us who are you doing it with. Danny. Danny. And the spiders. Danny. Danny and the spiders. <laughs> Danny and the spiders. Sounds like, well, a 70s, Danny. sounds like a 70s cartoon. <laughs> Come on, gang. Danny um, and the spiders, yeah. But Danny is there, and Goose is not happy to see him. <laughs> what with his entire life turning to shit because of him and the murder of his girlfriend. Indeed. Uh, and he immediately starts to try to beat the shit out of Danny. And I love that no matter what, like, they try to calm him down, but he immediately starts to try to attack him again. <laughs> uh, and it's amazing that he does eventually calm down to a point where, mostly because Danny is feigning ignorance about the attack on Christy, so he, 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 I guess there might be a shred of doubt in uh, in Goose's mind about him being behind it. Yeah. But eventually, Goose agrees that he will take orders from Danny, he will be part of their combined gang. Poor bastard. Yeah. I love these scenes afterwards, by the way, where all the gangs are kind of combined and they're going through the plan of what they're going to do. 
Uh-huh. It, it, no, I just like the idea of like uh, it, it. It's like one of those heist movies, right? Where you're kind of going through the plan. But this is a particularly unhinged group because <laughs> <laughs> Bone Crusher is there, and he can't even pay attention to what's going on. He's so fucked. <laughs> By the way, the reason that they need Goose is outstanding. <laughs> he needs to do two things in this plan. Let, let's let's make it really clear. They want to knock over an armored car. Yeah. Pretty reasonable. <laughs> And they're going to do this. I love the idea that someone had to kind of map out what the plan is. Here's what we need to do. <laughs> the goose needs to rappel down the side of a parking garage and then hit one of the security guards in the neck with a throwing star. With a, with a gigantic throwing star. <laughs> with a massive throwing star. You know what it looks like? It looks like one of those like crosses that you throw in like the Castlevania games. <laughs> He needs to throw his flo- throwing star at one of those Medusa heads that move in that wavy pattern, <laughs> and it just keeps it keeps knocking him off the off of the uh, platform into the water. Yeah. He should start um, from the beginning again. But yeah, it makes you wonder, like, what when that how that conversation took place. You know, it's like what a right. horrible night to have a curse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, so like, I imagine, I imagine Keith and Danny talking, and they're like, "Man, we really need somebody to." Like, like all of this works out really well, except for there's this one guy we need to take out. Man, if only we had somebody who knew how to repel and throw a throwing star. Hmm. I'm like, look, I'm Keith. Uh, couldn't you just use a gun? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it has to be a throwing no, star no, no, for need, some reason. We need a throwing star to keep up appearances. We, <laughs> we need to keep it. Uh, we need to key. Yeah, that's right. We need to keep it on the on the down low. We got to keep it low key. When there's like twelve guys, they're shooting and beating the shit out of these guys in the middle of the street. <laughs> And then they all drive the, away, like, on top of a car. Their getaway plan was not well thought out. No. They all climb onto a car. Like, and when I say, like you said, they're on top of they're it. They're on and, top like, of the hanging car. Hanging on yeah. to the fucking top and back. <laughs> and, yeah. And they just drive off. And it works. And it works. I like how they started, by the way. They, they, there was, like, a parade, and they light a mattress in the middle of the street. It's just very bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, I mean, there's quite a commitment. And... Let's not discount that that Jim Jim Van Beber really did rappel down that parking garage, and <laughs> I mean throwing star wasn't as impressive, but that's a guy who is committed to doing something ridiculous for his movie. So they all party together, but we 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 skipped over like two like huge things that happened. What what did I? Well, skip not over? not huge things, but we skipped over two sound bites at the very least. All right, let's hear some. Uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because yeah. Danny, when w- once uh, Goose gets back into the gang, uh, Danny is surprised. He he actually wanted Goose dead, and is surprised to find out that he's still alive. Yeah. So he asks, you know, so he a- so he asks Bone Crusher in, and uh, t- starts talking to him about like when he was going to deal with Danny, and he was like, "Oh, we'll deal with him on Tuesday," you know, and uh, and he asks, uh, well, he asks him this. Bone Crusher, do you know where your solar plexus is? Uh, yeah, yeah. Bone Crusher's such a wastoid. Right here! <laughs> right there! Right there! <laughs> <laughs> For those who can't interpret that sound clip, he punches him in his solar plexus. Yes. <laughs> And for those of you who don't know where the solar plexus is, it's right there. (laughs) (laughs) I just go berserk. Um, (laughs) uh, And in fact, we also learn something that's incredibly important. You're right. It's important not to to miss this, which is that Danny totally plans on fucking the Ravens. 
Not literally. <laughs> He's going to fuck them out of their part, their uh, portion of the of the score. Exactly. Afterwards. Yeah. And so, uh, so Danny starts asking uh, about like how he killed Christy. Christy. Yeah. And he and he was interested in the look in her eye, but uh, Bone Crusher says this. I wasn't looking at her eyes. Stubby had her face. I had her stomach. They look like snakes. Snakes? What do you mean snakes? What look like snakes? Her intestines look like snakes. Little snakes coming out of her skin. I like the way you said snakes. Like snakes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, that's the difference between uh, Danny's sadism and Bone Crusher's psychoticness. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> and, and in fact, uh, needless to say, Goose does not get along with Bone Crusher uh, for, at any point yeah. when they encounter each other before the plan. This is one of the few times in the film where we're actually given a, uh, uh, you know, where we're actually told that, like, time passes. Yeah, it says weeks later. Weeks later. And we come back, Goose has a beard. <laughs> he looks better with a beard. He does. He looks good with the beard. It's very uh, Stallone, uh, Nighthawks. You know, that's right. Or, uh, this is Serpico. this is a good time in history. Beards are very in right now. I mean, now in 2013. Yeah. So maybe that's why my impression of it is so positive. Maybe. See, back mm. back in the 90s, beards weren't such a big thing. No. So hair. They wanted you to grow your hair long, look like a girl. <laughs> Anyway, so they pull off this heist. It works out as well as you can expect it to, considering that their plan was ridiculous. Yeah, it's, surpri- it's surprising how well their plan worked out. They get $100,000 in cash. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, 1988, or probably before that when this movie was actually filmed. $100,000. That said, there's probably about 20 gang members. Um, you know, it's good. It's not not retirement money. <laughs> <laughs> It'll do them for a little while, I guess. Sure. But the Ravens are partying. They're all kind of partying together. Keith is really happy about how it went out. He's like, we're rich, goddammit. Not realizing that it'll even out to about $5,000 a piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that's crazy, the thing that's amazing is that, uh, you know, so Keith's talking to, to Goose, you know, and Goose is worried the whole time. Like he's, yeah, he's concerned about the fallout. On yeah, this. because they didn't, because they didn't split the loot. Previously, so now right. uh, the spiders have all the loot, mm-hmm. and know? they have to meet up and they have in to... order to split it. Exactly. Uh, and the, frankly, the spiders—sorry, uh, not the spiders—the ravens—they're not necessarily the sharpest knives in the drawer, mm. as you can tell by some of the background conversations occurring at this party. Okay, just imagine you are invisible. You're there. But no one can see you, okay? And then you drop acid. I used to have conversations like that all the time, like with friends. Used to. With... I've listened to Drunk on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean specifically about acid, because I had, I had, I used to have one friend who was a big acid enthusiast back in the day. <laughs> and, enthusiast. Uh, well, I mean, like, I mean, the dude, the dude dropped enough that, like, and by any you know standard, he'd be considered legally insane at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we used to talk about like what movies would be like good on acid or bad on acid, and and uh, and. and I think I think uh, the most interesting one we we did, and he actually watched it with us on acid, was that film Baraka. You know the oh yes, of course, yeah, and uh, and you know most of that movie is very 
sort of beautiful and, and you know, a lot of really sort of exotic scenes. But there are a couple of moments in that movie where there's like fast motion of like uh, a carcass getting eaten. And man, he freaked the fuck yeah, no out. No kidding. I'm just thinking about that movie right now. There would be certain moments where where, <laughs> where it would be, yeah, intense yeah. in a really unpleasant way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but once but once the uh, once the 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 pleasant imagery came back, he was fine again. He would just freak out like when all the when bad shit was on the screen. He's, sounds fun. He's like that movie was bad on acid. <laughs> there should be a podcast of some guy who's just dropped acid too many times, and he just watches a movie each week. He's like, oh no, this is a bad one to watch. <laughs> it's just five minutes long. That's all it has to be. So they're all getting together: In- the spiders and the ravens. We're actually given a, uh, a a quick moment here where um, where we, we get to see like how much of a of a good guy Goose really is because absolutely because there's a a girl at the party and she's like you know she's topless and shaking her stuff and uh, you know and, and Goose comes over and at first like it seems like he's gonna start dancing with her but then he gives her like his coat or his shirt or something and or maybe even her shirt and tell tells her to get out of there. Yeah, he's he's there's porno pictures all over the walls too. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, he's we're supposed to see that that his experience up to this point has changed him, but he still has elements of the goose from when he was the leader of the gang. That's why he's still so suspicious. He knows that something is up. Yeah, and the plan is that these two gangs are going to get together. None of them are going to bring guns or knives or anything. They're just going to make the exchange, and everyone will be happy. Yep. But uh, but Goose doesn't do that though. He's a he uh, he, he he's rightfully suspicious. Yeah, I mean exactly. So he so he, I mean of course loads himself up with like throwing knives and Chinese stars and you know other ridiculous stuff. But uh, he grabbed a gun as well. He does grab at least one gun. So there's something there. But uh, but yeah, he's the only he's the only guy from the Ravens who thinks to bring anything. And uh, his suspicion turns out, surprisingly, to be absolutely warranted. Exactly. Because <clears throat> because Danny says this. Now, there's just one thing I wanted to say. What's that, Danny, man? What's on your mind, man? <laughs> Fuck you, black boy! I, Danny's not a good guy. <laughs> I remember I remember um after I watched this with my friends back in the 90s. We we used well, whenever whenever somebody would get like jokingly upset with somebody else, so somebody would at least one of us would always go, "Fuck you, black boy." <laughs> <laughs> Glad the film had such a such a <laughs> such an influence on your life as a whole. Mo. So the Ravens get gunned the fuck down. Like they get machine gunned yeah, to death. Yeah. But Goose, who was semi-expecting something like this to happen, um, he shoots a guy in the head and he throws a knife and uh, he, he swings like Robin Hood on a chain across the room. <laughs> and so, like this is very Robin Hoodish because he, he even steals from the rich, uh, these the spiders, he steals their big bag of money and runs off. <laughs> he even smashes through some glass on the way off, which is particularly badass. Yeah, well, yeah it is pretty pretty cool, actually. Um, actually, there's a lot in this chase scene that's pretty. That's pretty neat. Oh, this is amazing! I love everything. Yeah, about this. like I love when um, when the car is chasing him, mm-hmm. and um, and like he jump, like he does that sort of like badass jump, 
like over the guardrail. <laughs> yeah. Like I think he jumps over the guardrail like into the the river. Yeah, like a reservoir. Like he just yeah. he falls like a really long way. Yeah. And then uh, and then this poor like DOT worker just gets taken the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> they show this construction worker guy like next to a sign and he's like, "Oh," and like the gang is driving a car. <laughs> They're they've lost control and they fucking just plow into take him, him out. <laughs> <laughs> What's great is that Goose still has this bag of money, even though he's soaking wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the idea at this point, by the way, is that the spiders are looking for him everywhere. Yeah. So he has no place really to hide, even though he's not doing a very good job of hiding. He's sort of just laying on the ground in, in plain daylight. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not really hiding anywhere. He's just there. But there's that great moment where, like, every sound is freaking him out. Like, everything he hears yeah, he thinks yeah. could be one of the guys. So he's not living a very comfortable lifestyle at this point. No. Which might explain his mental state for what he does next. Yeah, because he finds himself in, like, a little, like, convenience store sort of thing. Or, like, a, like an oil change shop or something. Sure. I mean, it, like, it's got a big thing where a car can drive through it. So, who knows? But, but you can uh, buy, like, soda and stuff Yeah, but there. you can buy, like, soda and stuff there. And so he grabs, like, a 7-Up or whatever, and uh, <laughs> he, he walks over, he walks over and basically, and robs the place, or tries to tries to rob the place. Yeah, he looks yeah. miserable, yeah, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he gra- He's still soaking wet. It's actually one of the more <laughs> iconic scenes in the film where, like, he grabs the uh, the, the cashier and, and, give me all your money! You know? Yeah. He's uh, in a bad place. Yeah, and then there's a really great line that follows. It's a robbery! Give me your gun, Grandma! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that, that line delivery right there. Give me your gun, Grandma! It's really, it's re- what's really great about that line is that if you didn't know any better and you were just judging it by that audio, you would assume that guy is black. I suppose. <laughs> he sounds, he sounds like a black dude. Oh, nope. Gosh, no. no. Fucking, fucking white bread fucking cracker honky motherfucker i'll be honest that this part of the film is the one scene which kind of gets to me a little bit like as i'm like it just feels a little out of place because that guy and his grandmother and his like give me the gun grandma it's such kind of like a um cartoonish yeah thing like it's 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 almost like a little bit of social commentary it's like the guy's grandma has a gun uh that's how bad things have got and maybe that guy's line delivery too give me your gun grandma yeah uh it just doesn't work for me and also this whole scene is so like <laughs> it's like his life must be so shitty that he's just gonna go in and rob this place for no reason he's got a bag of I was gonna money say, he's right got there. a bag of cash so it's like why yeah. he needs to rob this place who knows yeah it's really he's gotten you know the nihilism is kicking into overtime at this point. He doesn't know what the fuck he's going to do. We don't care about anything. Uh, and in fact, he, he... I mean, his mental state is so fucked at this point. He goes to the cemetery, um, and he starts, like, hallucinating. Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually great. Like, he sees his girlfriend, like, in the bloody sheet. Like, it's a, her corpse walking. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, sheet yeah, 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 yeah. And and you see like Danny sort of molesting her corpse and like Ugh. cutting into her skull. It's like it's fingering her brain. Yeah, that's right. It is like fingering her. No, brain. No, that's exactly what he does. He's fingering her brain. <laughs> that's right. That's what happens. So gross. And uh, so he's fucked. Like his brain is messed up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we have a scene that is another scene that doesn't seem to belong in the film. Whereas you remember the one with the religious guy ordering two breakfasts? Yeah, yeah, this is it's a weird they, fucking thing to be in the movie. And they're like, "It's like you only brought me one breakfast," and they're like, "Why?" It's like, the other one's for God. 
Yeah, you heathen bitch. Yeah, you heathen bitch. <laughs> just like a Christian. Uh, uh, I think it's just supposed to show like like this <laughs> the problems that are existing in uh, in Goose's world. They exist all around him at this point. <laughs> the hell is actually overflowing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's that's a particularly bizarre moment. It really is. Yeah, it's just such a weird, crazy scene uh, that doesn't make any sense at all. But it, like I said, it kind of brings out some of the texture about what's going on in, oh, I guess, Ohio at that point in time, where it's like the whole, like hell is literally overflowing. It, well, it's just affecting everybody. It, Jim Van, Van Bevers, Ohio. <laughs> Reagan's America is more like it. <laughs> Reagan's America. <laughs> Trickle down economics. That's right. Well. Oh, we should have mentioned something a long time ago, by the way. <laughs> what? That Christy had a sister. Mm-hmm. Christy's sister is named Sandy. She's kind of estranged from her, or had been estranged from her. I hadn't seen her in a while. She's mentioned sort of offhandedly very early in the film. At this point, Goose, who is kind of probably sick of having to run for his life all the time, uh, has decided that what he's going to do is the most honorable thing he can think of is he's going to try to give this money to Sandy. Yep. So he asks her to meet him at a train station in downtown Dayton. Uh, and uh, by the way, Sandy, I don't know what was up when they were filming these scenes, but she's like dubbed and she's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have to do much, but she does it very, very badly. Hey, everybody's got, hey. Their, everybody's got their role. <laughs> yes. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this sets up, by the way, the biggest fight scene in the entire movie. Yeah. Where Goose, he's like sleeping at the train station. Not a good idea. He's yeah. using the money bag as a pillow. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, not only is he sleeping at the train station, like he's sleeping like in between the tracks. So, I mean, he's like as open as it gets. Yeah, he's pretty much uh, exposed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a shame because he's woken up by a whistle from Bone Crusher. Yeah, they basically ambush the fuck out yeah, of him. Yeah, they ambush him. There's a ton of them. And this is uh, I, this is a very impressive and very, very goofy scene. This is also my favorite mask of Danny's. What's his mask look like again? Well, this one, it's not much of a mask. It's it's more or less how he's holding it on mm-hmm. um, because he has electrical taped the mask to his face. <laughs> That'll keep it on. Yeah. Oh, and it does. I mean, until he tears it off. But yeah. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I love, I mean, there's so much great stuff in the scene. I love the fact that they're surrounded by the trains and they're and you can tell that he's actually waiting for certain trains to go by before he films certain parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's getting the, his ass kicked, but then he like grabs his nunchucks and fights a guy with a bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, it's, pretty, it, it's pretty wild. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really brutal hits. Yeah, uh, in, in this in this fight, and there's a really great scene where he like he does that like run up the wall trick, and that's right, and backflips. Yeah, and backflips. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and he has a, his final confrontation with Bone Crusher, who has this giant piece of wood. Is that what that was? Yeah, it's like a big like hunk of of like a big piece of wood. Yeah, it's like black. So I didn't know what it yeah. was. It was so. I'm weird. pretty sure that's what it is. I'm sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and and actually, it looks like his goose is cooked because. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I've been waiting to use that. Um, he gets knocked down, and it looks like he's fucked. But uh, Bone Crusher didn't think of one thing: his arsenal of throwing stars. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets one right in the forehead. 
And then he's fine. He's like, he, like he keeps going, which is the best. Part. He's like one of those guys in Fist of the North Star. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> And what's about to happen to him is very Fist of the North Starish, <laughs> because he gets his head slammed into some concrete and thrown over like this barricade onto the street below. Yeah, where he then proceeds to get run over by a car and decapitated, and his head just comes off, pops off, like it was meant to. It's brilliant. It. I wish. Uh, this is we're recording this the night after the Oscars. I wish the Oscars was just that scene played over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a montage of his head just coming off, <laughs> right from the throwing star in the forehead. No, it's it's the, pretty great. The entire in memoriam, is just <laughs> Bone Crusher's head. Rest in peace, Bone, bone Crusher. crusher. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's great for Goose. <laughs> But uh, Goose uh, starts running after Danny, uh, and he actually has some really bad luck in this confrontation because he ends up getting hit by a car yeah. driven by Sandy, who he was there to meet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he gets hit by the car with Sandy that Sandy's driving, and then uh, Danny tries to basically kidnap her and take the car uh, so he can get away. And then there's a really amazing kind of stunt where uh, Goose has stuck crazy. his arm in and he gets the window kind of rolled up on his arm and he's then like hanging out the side side door and then they go down a uh, like an alleyway and he gets dragged across the uh, uh, the brick wall which I thought mm-hmm. was awesome it's so dangerous looking it really <laughs> yeah it really yeah exactly it was it was it's like watching like a Todd sheets movie where, like any time a power drill is used. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's the same sort of thing. And then, uh, you know, and then they end up, oh, and Christy does the, or Sandy does the greatest thing ever. And she punches Danny in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> and so he crashes and they're able to. This is so rough too, because Danny has his knife because they stop and fight right after they, after the car. Yeah, stops. yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny proceeds to bite Goose's fingers off yeah, yeah. or a finger off. He bites his finger off. And then he he shivs him like he does the, the kind of rapid stabbing in like the stomach. Like a prison shiv, yeah. Right, right. Just like if anyone saw the recent uh, Breaking Bad, there's a scene uh, in that in one of the recent episodes, and it's so vicious looking. It really is, yeah. <laughs> I love how like following Bone Crusher's demise, they needed something that's going to be like climactic at this point. So Goose gets stabbed a dozen times in the gut, and he does what you couldn't. Which is really the apex of what you can do in a one-on-one confrontation. He grabs Danny by the neck. And tears out his motherfucking throat. He tears his fucking throat out. Look, there's only there's only two other guys who can tear throats out. You know, it's Dalton from Roadhouse and John Rambo. Danny used to fuck guys like you in prison. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but yeah, he rips his fucking throat out. Yep. And uh, Goose... Who, by the way, uh, has had a very bad day. <laughs> uh, he uh, he's dying. He's totally fucking dying. But before he dies, he wants to give the hundred thousand dollars in stolen money, which will almost certainly be found by the police <laughs> and taken back. He wants to give it to Sandy before he dies. That's a hundred thousand dollars of stolen money. <laughs> Take it before the cops get here. Where's Christy? 
loved her. Aw. He really did. He loved her. And uh, he walks away, sort of. <laughs> it, it, this gets like intercut with like black and white photos of Sandy as she runs off with the money, and yeah. then you see him. This is the moment that you mentioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he because co- he comes out from the alleyway and then basically does a header right into the sidewalk, you know, and uh, a, po- a pool of blood starts forming around him, and you can see in the background that there are clearly a couple of people who are sitting on a bench back there who had no mm-hmm. idea what was going on. And they get up and they're all worried looking. <laughs> and then they're just looking at it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. It's a real moment. Yeah. <laughs> real. But it's, that's it. That's, it goes into like that kind of kaleidoscopy uh, thing. And, uh, and that's it. That's the end of Deadbeat at Dawn. And it's literally the end. I love that this is very much a, there's no setup for a sequel. Everyone's dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty terrific. Oh my nuts! <laughs> Famous moment for for no for no reason. Yeah, it this movie is such a massive accomplishment. Filmed over four years, uh, you know, with all of this action, and it's really competently made too. I mean, like the sixteen millimeter film is really grainy and intentionally so. They made it look like an exploitation movie on purpose. Yeah, yeah. But it also it really it has an energy that is because there's so much going on in it. I mean. You can't get bored during this movie. It's constantly moving. Yeah, no, it's it's it. This is probably one of the um, one of the easiest films to watch that we've covered so far. Like where, you know, I mean, unless you're into this sort of thing already, like you shouldn't need to take any breaks. You shouldn't need to worry about like being <laughs> bored or anything like that. You know, I don't want to give away too much, but Mo and I, we sometimes take breaks during the movies we're watching because they're almost always impossible to watch. I can't watch. I, I can hardly ever watch any of the movies we cover in one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also very fast-paced because it's only 80 minutes long. It's yeah. a short movie, but it's a movie. I mean, it's a full movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a beginning, middle, and end. I mean, it's and, and when it's done, it's done. It's, it's a really, and, and it's really well made. Yeah, it is. And and thankfully, it's been kind of preserved. Uh, there's a special edition, two DVD set. And I mean, it's it's the kind of movie that has been, thankfully, uh, was discovered. I mean, it never really went away, but it, it's gotten treated very well. Uh, and and uh, Jim Van Beber, who never... It's almost a shame that he hasn't made more films, but he really puts a lot into the films that he does make, and he tends to make them over years and years. Yeah. He became sort of a notable music video director... Afterwards, is too making videos for like Skinny Puppy and things like that. Hmm. Oh yeah, I think I remember hearing something about that. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really pay attention to who makes music videos. Sure, uh, uh, you should, Mo. I guess I should. I guess. Uh, and uh, in fact, his film, uh, his his, I guess at this point, his final full length film, The Manson Family, is just about to get a new kind of theatrical re release. Uh, it's it'll be happening over the next few months uh, in the states, and hopefully, maybe in Canada as well. But we don't get nothing. <laughs> Sorry. Come and see us. But uh, but yeah. So I love Javan Beber. Uh, he's quite an interesting personality if you, if you follow him on Facebook and things like that. Mm. Um, but he also is obviously an incredibly talented and. On the commentary for Debbie to Don, he, he seems... I mean, they really put thought into what they were doing. I mean, he was a film student at the time. He he wasn't making a throwaway film. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it, it 
it really does kind of pay off on the screen. And I guess uh, at least some of the credit uh, should also go to Mike King, who was the cinematographer on the film, because it really does have the perfect look for the kind of movie it is. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is like talking to Mike Merriman. <laughs> <laughs> I can agree with that. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> But yes, Debbie Don, great movie. I really think that it, this is like, it is a little different than the movies we normally cover because for one thing, it's shot on film. Uh, it's particularly well known, but it was made for very, very little money. And it does have that sort of anything goes, go for broke filmmaking attitude, which is in the best no budget movies. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it, it really is on a kind of a higher level. It's one of those ones that I think that if you're going to make a low-budget feature or even a low-budget short, and I mean micro-budget, this is the level of energy, like the sort of like El Mariachi energy that you need to put into the film. Put all your ideas in there because at least if it's overstuffed, at least it's not going to be boring. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and, and maybe you'll come out with something as good as Deadbeat at Dawn. Well, I mean, De- Deadbeat at Dawn has, has one of those things that it seems like every like indie film like has to have and that's a scene of somebody walking i don't know why every single <laughs> why every single low budget like indie film needs to have a scene of somebody walking but at least in this particular case the scene of of goose walking is at least interesting cuz i mean he's <laughs> carrying the corpse of his you know of his recently deceased uh you know girlfriend so, i mean so it's something but i mean I'm with you, Mo. There's too much walking in movies these days. There, there's a re- Can't he just fly everywhere? There, no, no. But I'm saying though, is like you know, use a little movie fucking magic. We don't. I mean, like we don't need to watch the movie in real time. And I mean, one of the things that this movie does as well is it picks really great locations for these things to be taking place in. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's not just the regular. I mean, we've seen so many movies which take place in the woods or in just one single location. This film, because of all the different places it goes, it really does feel like an actual movie. Mm. Even if they're not sets, even if they're just like you know rundown shacks. Yeah, I love Deadbeat at Dawn. It's a great fucking movie. I think uh, I think it definitely deserves our highest accolades. <laughs> we give it the no budget nightmares. Ding. Yeah. Seal of approval. <laughs> Which is as good as it gets. That's right. That and science crazed get our seal of approval. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. Uh, Mo, let's talk a little bit. About the uh, the fallout of our previous episode with Todd Cheats. Okay. There hasn't been any real fallout. I was going to say. Fallout sounds negative. I just mean that uh, the feedback on it has been extremely positive. Yeah. Todd seemed like he had a really good time with it. Uh, the people, I think, people have really responded. Uh, I think they could really hear the passion in his voice during the interview. For those who haven't heard that interview yet, it was a big moment for us because obviously we've been talking about Todd right back to like the third episode of the show. Uh, so this was really felt like a culmination of something. Uh, and we were so, it, it's funny how things worked out because we did want him to participate in the anniversary show, but it ended up that we had a full interview with him, which is much better than just sort of snippets that we could have had for that show. Yeah, no, I'm definitely glad we were able to, to pull it off this way instead of, uh, instead of having him in the other, in the 30th episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've also had some interesting feedback. We didn't mention this on the other show because it was already a little overstuffed, but this is a big thing as well. Uh, regular listeners, listeners of the show might remember that a few episodes back we watched the film Holy Moly. Holy Moly! Holy Moly! And we actually enjoyed it quite a bit, uh, which came as quite a surprise 
to uh, <laughs> to the star and director of it, Lance Ozenick. Yes, Ozenick, which is how it's pronounced. Sorry, Lance, for fucking it up. But when you put an X at the end of your name, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> he, he of the uh, the talent of vomiting on stage and also being a very uh, well-respected musician, he actually got in contact with us and, to- and told us how much he enjoyed listening to the episode has been incredibly kind even answered a bunch of questions for us uh you can find out a little bit more of that information on our facebook page or our facebook group but uh just want to give a shout out to lance Ozenick for getting in contact with us again just another incredible thing that happens yeah, here very cool. on no budget nightmares very cool yeah he's a cool guy uh and you know check out uh Holy moly! Of course, if you can, uh, if you can track it down, and uh, and and follow up on, you know, Lance hasn't done a ton of movies, uh, but you can certainly, uh, <laughs> you can certainly find some of his work out there. Yeah, and if you're into thrash, check out Schizo. Schizo, yeah. absolutely, and uh, and his appearances on Jerry Springer and oh, Judge Judy. They're brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> they really are, actually. <laughs> Mo. Yes. <laughs> For listeners. Who love you? Nobody loves me. Aww, <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm for people so who tolerate, sad. for people who tolerate you on <laughs> on this program or tolerate the both of us, what's the best way for them to get in contact with us if they have a little a little bit of information to share or just a little bit of feedback to give us? Well, lately, I mean, if they were going to get in contact with either one of us, I'd say the Facebook uh, would probably be the best way. It's Facebook.com/slash No Budget Nightmares. Or or Facebook face face uh, Facebook <laughs> Facebook uh, Facebook dot com slash groups slash No Edge of Nightmares. Mm, absolutely, that group is a lot of fun. By the way, there's a lot of really interesting conversation going on. Learned just today about <laughs> an upcoming get this Robot Ninja fan film. What that is currently being made? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, and and those who are again longtime listeners know how much. We think Robot Ninja kicks ass. <laughs> I I am Robot Ninja, and I kick ass. JD Bookwalter himself has said that. J f- of course. <laughs> Fuck me. Jesus. <laughs> JD Salinger himself has uh, <laughs> has given his seal of approval on this fan film, and uh, he, uh, he even I think he said that it looks better than the original film. <laughs> I severely doubt that. <laughs> Probably doesn't have Scott Spiegel and a squeaky voice in it at the very least. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, robot, but you can find out about uh, all the upcoming inside info and also converse with a lot of really great low-budget filmmakers and people that have actually contributed to this show or whose films we've covered. It's pretty... It's really... An, it's going to say, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, like the community that's building up around that page. It's pretty cool. I love it. I really do. Yeah, I don't really contribute on there too much, but, uh, you know, but I like, I like going on there and checking out the stuff that people post. Uh, so yeah, you can find us on those two places. Where else can they find us on the uh, the internets, Mo? Well, I mean, if they wanted to follow either one of us on Twitter, um, they could follow me at drunk on VHS, or me at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. Although, although um, to be fair, uh, my Twitter account most recently has just been. Uh, you know, uh, your wife talking about her breasts, my wife. her bra smelling weird or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like but... blue cheese. I think she might have mentioned. <sighs> uh, it's pretty revolting. Not yeah. gonna lie. I got. I got to tell you, man. I don't use my. I don't use my Twitter that much anymore. You don't. Yeah. Mo is really falling off on the old Twitter. So it's up to you, fair listeners, to get him back 
in the habit. I, well, uh, I use I use Facebook all the time now, you know, because mm. I can post yeah. videos easier and and uh, and pictures and stuff. Well, some of us love the old Twitter, uh, including myself, and I like to switch back and forth. Yeah, I swing both ways when it comes to the social networks and other things, from what I hear. Baboom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yes, that's uh, you can uh, contact us in either of those ways. You could even give us an email if you wanted. Send an email. Give us an email. <laughs> and what's the email addresses, Mo? Uh, they can send it to nobudgetnightmaresdg, as in Daily Grindhouse, uh, at gmail.com. One more time, that's nobudgetnightmaresdg at gmail.com. Let's just stick with that one. Yeah, we're just going to stick with that one. <laughs> just send it to that one. Uh, <laughs> not like there's a ton coming anyway, unless you're the uh, the star of Holy Moly. <laughs> uh, I also want to bring up, before we uh, talk about our next film, which we haven't chosen yet, <laughs> <laughs> that I'm still looking for Ron Switzer, or Switzer, the director of Science Crazed. We're still sending the call out. I have heard a little bit of feedback from people on Twitter who have actually been actively looking for him, but I want your help. I, I'm sending out... The signal, the bat signal, the no-budget nightmare signal. I want you to help me track down the director of Science Craze. We need to find this man and tell him how brilliant he is. We need to go. I mean, just recently, I uh, contributed to Bob uh, Freelander's list uh, of, of films that you that you just discovered in 2012. And Science Crazed was on my list, and it was, in my mind, number one with a bullet. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that deserves attention. It deserves love. It deserves rediscovery. And we can only do it with the director's approval. So help us find Ron Switzer. I'm just going to stick with Switzer from now on. Yeah. Sure. Might why as well. Not? So I was so I, mean, I don't know if you if you've given any thought to to what we should watch next, but I, I've given it a little bit of thought. I never give any thought to anything. Oh, okay. Well, here's what I was thinking. Uh huh. I was thinking maybe we would cover the uh, a more recent film, um, one one that I've been uh, wanting to watch for a while now and uh, just haven't had a chance because I've been waiting to do it on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking we would cover 2012's Deatherman. Deather Man, it's finally time. I think it's finally time. I've been excited about seeing this for a while, so this is exciting to me. Wow, 2012, we're really moving up there. We're, we're getting this. It's interesting because this is one of the older films that we've covered uh, in uh, Debbie to Don. Yeah. So now we're moving right up to the recent past. This is this is brand spanking new. I mean, I think I think the only other movie on our list that's equally as new is uh, Slaughter Tales. But let's do let's do Deather Man. That's uh, directed by Bob Keller. Yeah, by Bobby Keller. Bobby Keller. So uh, look forward to that, everybody. Uh, Deather Man, coming up soon on No Budget Nightmares. Woohoo! He'll be Please. He'll be very happy to hear we're, we're finally covering it. Oh, I love it when people are happy to hear we're covering yeah. the film. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, don't get too happy. We haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We're having a really good time. Really, We're on a roll here at the No Budget Nightmares factory, so I'm really happy that uh, that we're back and... We had such a great film to discuss. Let's hope we can keep it uh, keep it going. Next time we'll watch Death or Man. It'll be two for two, which is not <laughs> meant to be a knock against Goblin. <laughs> yeah, it's not meant to be, but I mean, come on. I don't think Todd would be that upset about that. I don't think so either. But with that, I like to bid our fair listeners adieu. Indeed. Adieu to you and you and you. Good night, folks. <laughs> Good night. Oh, yeah, I want to watch Slaughter Tales too. <laughs>